We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You shouldn't go to Barnes & Noble and buy 10,000 books just so you can build a book fortress and yell out, I am your book leader. You shouldn't buy 147 copies of War and Peace, stuff them inside turkeys, and serve them at Thanksgiving as Terbukens. And you definitely shouldn't buy up all the copies of Dork Diaries, causing the neighborhood kids to stage a protest in your front yard. But you could. Because at the Barnes & Noble Book Hall, you can get over a 1,000 titles for 50% off. Stock up at your local Barnes & Noble. Terbukens are fictitious and should not be cooked at home. Is DK Metcalf really the next Julio Jones? Did the Combine change running back rankings? And which players saw the biggest changes to their draft stocks? We're talking the Combine on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? I'm Dave Cabin, Senior Fantasy Analyst at Rotoviz. This is Rotoviz, brought to you by the FFPC. I'm joined tonight by Matthew Friedman, the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. The combine is behind us, and this is when things are really getting fun. Matt, how did those props go that you had going on the combine? Uh really well. It was a fantastic combine all around. Uh and fortunately, um the players that I was uh, most against, <laughs> I wasn't really able to, to get down action <laughs> for the most part on, uh, on the props against them, uh, at numbers that I liked. So for instance, yep. I was really against DK Metcalf, but I didn't, I just still didn't see enough value in, uh, betting against him. So I only missed on a couple of the player specific props and, um, I've been looking through it. It doesn't look like any combine records were broken. Uh, and that's where I was really heavy. Like a- as many uh, sports books as I could, I was putting action on uh, no combine props being broken. So uh, it-, it went really well. Well, I mean, that does seem like a winning proposition, right? 
Yeah, I mean, they they were just way off on their lines. You know, something that was maybe like a 10 or 15% probability of happening at the most, they were valuing as if, uh, you know, there was like a 25 or 30% chance of happening, uh, at least when a lot of the lines opened. So there was just massive value on betting that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and a quick reminder here, since I don't bring this up a lot, please, uh, if you listen to the show week in and week out, do us a solid, leave us a review, a rating, um, and you know, make sure if you're not subscribed yet that you do subscribe because that definitely helps out the show. I'm pumped for this episode. So let's start off, Matt. You already mentioned DK Metcalf. There is so much talk about this on Twitter, given his results. And let me quickly remind everybody out there uh, just how well he performed. Um, so 40 time, 4-3-3, which if you look at his height adjusted speed score, puts him in the 137 range. Players in the past that we've seen in that area, one of them is Calvin Johnson. 27 reps on the bench, 134 on the broad, a vertical of 40.5. He's drawing a lot of comparisons to Julio Jones. And players of that elite type of status, where do you stand on Metcalf now that we've seen the combine and we've seen the measurables? And I left out two very important ones in my opinion, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So um, I was wonderfully wrong on uh, how athletic he would be. Um, he, I mean, I should say like as muscular as he looked in those photos before the combine, uh, he looked every bit that muscular, uh, and yet he weighed only 228 pounds, which is absolutely incredible. Um, and his speed, the 4.33, is just unreal. That is absolutely unreal for a guy of that size. Um, it absolutely is uh, Calvin Johnson-esque. Um, and the leaping ability uh, like verified how explosive he is. But the uh, the two drills you didn't mention, which you are alluding to, <laughs> the 20-yard shuttle and the three-cone drill, um, he had literally Tom Brady-esque type of times, like worse than Tom Brady. Um, and this was Tom Brady as a prospect when he wasn't as athletic <laughs> as he probably is now. Right. Um, so what you see out of DK Metcalf uh, in terms of his prospect profile is actually very much what you saw – uh, from him as a player uh, at Mississippi, a guy who can run by cornerbacks, um, but who has a very limited route tree and can basically only run fly patterns um, and button hooks and curls. But a guy, uh, if you actually need him to kind of change direction really quickly, uh, doesn't have or at least hasn't exhibited that ability as a route runner. Like he hasn't shown that nuance when it comes to breaks in his routes. And we didn't see anything approaching that in his agility drills. So uh, that's not to say that he can't develop as a route runner. It's just to say like we haven't seen anything like that to this point to indicate that he has that skill set. So the guys to whom he is most uh, comparable are these guys who really haven't done much, like John Baldwin. Um, I, I, like, I don't know if you remember him, but a first rounder, yep. very athletic, drafted by the Chiefs, never actually did that much in college. That is kind of DK Metcalf. Uh, Mark Harrison from Rutgers, Chris Conley from Georgia. 
um, like a number of guys who didn't have uh, like who had great explosive qualities, but didn't have agility and didn't really do much in the NFL. Uh, so my opinion of Metcalf really hasn't changed. Like he's not Julio Jones, uh, like from a prospect perspective in the NFL, he maybe could develop into that type of player, but as a prospect, um, he's not what Julio Jones was. Jones had much better agility and much better production. Uh, and, uh, I'm pretty sure was also younger, uh, entering the league. So like three pretty significant things in Julio's favor versus DK Metcalf. Um, there is the possibility of kind of excusing away Metcalf's lack of college production by the fact that one, he was with another very good teammate in AJ Brown, who, uh, I think in his own right will be a first rounder. And then two, he was injured for a significant chunk of time. And if you take his, his six healthy games, that he played in 2018, and you extrapolate those out to a 12-game season, he would have a 1,000-yard, 10-touchdown season. So like from a certain perspective, you could say in his final season, when he was on the field, even though he didn't have great market share, he did put up some pretty impressive numbers. Um, Or let me rephrase that, impressive enough numbers. Um, So my my opinion of him hasn't really changed. I was expecting him to be athletic enough. He was the number three player uh, in my rookie rankings entering the combine, and that's still where he is after the combine. Okay, yeah, I, I think that you hit on both sides of the debate on Metcalf here. There's certainly strong elements to his profile. It's hard to deny the athleticism. And if you have not seen the pictures of this man, he may just be the closest living thing on earth to a comic book superhero in existence right now. I mean, it's insane. And uh, like 1.6% body fat, that is absolutely absurd. Um, That that number cannot be real. It can't be real. But it it might, I mean, you just look at him and you would believe it. Yeah. I mean, I actually have never seen a physical specimen before around other physical specimens as impressive as the guys (laughs) that you would get at the combine that pale in comparison to DK Metcalf. Honestly, these other dudes, it looks like I walked into a, like a NFL. I don't know. It looks like I walked into a team's locker room and and am standing with the running backs. That's the vast difference between Metcalf and some of the competition. Yeah, the difference between him and other NFL caliber prospects is the difference between them and us. Like, it's just he's on another playing field. Yes, it's insane. But the question here is, how much of what he was able to do in college, which, yes, is limited, there's ways that we can explain it, comes from just that ridiculous athletic ability But when you make that jump to the next level and you don't have the agility, you're playing against better cornerbacks, playing against, you know, stronger, faster safeties. Can that carry through with that limited route tree? I think that one of the things that makes this hard is there are not many guys that are like Metcalf. We don't see this profile very often, so we can look to other players, but we're still working with a pretty simple sample. I think, though, that there are reasons to be concerned with this. Uh, or, or, or with what you're seeing from Metcalf, there's a lot of optimism though. And I think a high ceiling, but in my opinion, Matt, and let's see if you agree with this. I think where he lands, what team he goes to is going to be paramount because you might have a situation where there's a coach, they see this huge, really fast, very strong wide receiver, and they want to deploy them 
in a way like a Julio Jones or DeAndre Hopkins, moving them all over the field, asking them to do a whole different number of things. But that might not be his game. So I think that where he lands might dictate what he actually is able to do in his you know, first two or three seasons in the league. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I mean, his strong suit really is just running down the field and out muscling and out jumping guys for the ball uh, or taking uh, the ball very quickly uh, and then running past guys with it. Um, if he's asked to do that in the NFL, I think he could do that inconsistently well. Like I think he could have those massive like boom bust type of games where uh, he has two touchdowns and 120 yards or, uh, you know, a, a defense accounts for him and he has, you know, like two receptions for 12 yards. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we're going to come back to wide receivers in a couple of minutes unless you want had any closing thoughts on Metcalf. No, nah, I'm good. OK, so. Have your running back rankings changed? I know we talked about the top three players in the RSI before added in Josh Jacobs. Personally, I have recently become absolutely enamored with Daryl Henderson, and I think behind him I might have David Montgomery out of Iowa State. Um, There were some interesting performances at the Combine. Again, Jacobs did not participate. His teammate Damian Harris did. Have you kind of shuffled any of those big names around? A little bit. The, I mean, I still have Montgomery as the number one running back and I was kind of expecting him not really yep. to be all that athletic. Like that's just kind of not his game. Um, he's just, I think, a uh, well-balanced all around back. Um, Henderson is a guy that I did have as the uh, third or fourth runner uh, in the class. And I think I probably still have him there. Um he is, uh, I mean, he was incredibly explosive at Memphis and he didn't really do anything at the combine to show that he's not explosive. Um, so I will probably kind of leave him where he is slotted as like the third or fourth running back kind of like in that tier. Um, but I have him definitely below, uh, David Montgomery. Um, okay. but like I could understand if someone had him higher than Montgomery, Right. And I think for me, one of the factors is I see a lot of potential. Well, really, if I look at this class of like the top players, I think he or he being Henderson and Montgomery have the most potential just when you look purely at that college profile uh, to be receivers. And it's a little bit hard because with Henderson, um, the market shares do not match what you see out of Montgomery. But, you know, he was used in both facets and had a couple of incredible seasons, 22 Uh, rushing touchdowns uh, in his final season at Memphis. So, you know, I think for me, the combine, if anything, um, just kind of solidified their place that I can keep them above my rankings. I think we do need to talk about Benny Snell, uh, who didn't really excel in anything, but I'm not necessarily sure that he was looked at like, you know, a supreme um, athlete to begin with. And his four, 40 time was a 4.66, so just a little bit worse than Montgomery. I uh, was at a 4.63 and Henderson uh, 4.49, although I believe he actually might have had one, and I'm not sure if it didn't count that was quicker than that. Yeah, uh, he wasn't expected to have great athleticism entering the combine. Um, that's not really his game. He's a guy who was super productive for three years. Um, you know, in the SEC and yep. is big. He's like 225-ish pounds. Yep. Um, you know, a 466 at 224 pounds, like that's that's sufficient. 
You know, like that is, um, I'm trying to think of the right. I mean, that's like sort of like, uh, Carlos Hyde, Jeremy Hill, um, type of athleticism. Like, and and those guys that doesn't sound great, but like they were still productive for at least a couple of seasons. I think that's probably what you get roughly out of Benny Snell. He's like, um, an Alex Collins type of player, like, you know, decent size, not great speed, but, uh, good enough. And then with his college production, you'd assume that he will probably have at least one season of fantasy relevance. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that. Um, if you do look at the profile, it's really impressive, especially when you consider the fact that he was doing this against SEC defenses and at Kentucky, which has been better than you might imagine historically the last couple of seasons. But still, this isn't the type of team where if you're the running back on it, you're guaranteed to produce. Um, 34 reps on the bench press by Alex Barnes out of Kansas state. Not that, uh, there's really much else. Well, actually, you know, as I'm looking through this, he had a pretty good combine, Matt. What's your, what's your Intel on Alex Barnes? I like Barnes a lot. Um, yep. he was someone I, I kind of wanted to be aggressive on in my rankings. Um, but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't do it because, uh, there wasn't really much hype around him. So I had him as a, uh, like a third round pick. He was literally in my, uh, uh, like top 36 rankings. So like three rounds in rookie drafts, he was my last pick. He was 3.12 for me. Um, but, uh, incredibly productive at Kansas state, which, uh, like they have a decent track record of producing backs for the NFL, um, and was very productive there. And this this might sound like kind of random, but he has the same uh, agent as um, Jakeem Grant. <laughs> like, uh, no, this, I see where you're going agent, with this. Like this agent, like I've noticed, like has a pretty good eye at finding guys who are undervalued, um, who don't have much hype, but who produced in college and have like undervalued athleticism. So like Barnes was someone who was already like on my radar. Um, and yeah, he had, I think like a very underrated combine. Um, I still don't think he's going to move up all that much. Like I had him before the combine slotted as like a rounds five to six type of guy. And I still think that's kind of the general range he will go in, but maybe like round four, but yeah, he really intrigues me. I like, I could see him being the type of person who goes to a team. You don't think he's going to get a chance and then some injury happens or someone gets traded or whatever it is. And then yep. he makes the most of his opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I suppose one of the knocks on him would be that he's one of the older backs in the class, but had one of the best verticals, one of the best broads. Looks like the explosions there. I mean, 34 reps, he was by and large the strongest back. I think the closest uh, player was Elijah Holyfield, who I want to talk about. Uh, right. Rip 26. Then his three cone and shuttle uh, gives him an agility score of an 11.05, which was one of the best that we saw. In fact, I think only uh, Miles um, Sanders out of Penn State, or actually, no, Sanders was 11.08. So he might have had the best score in the class there. Yeah. Over 100 on the weight adjusted speed score, which. I get suckered into looking at that, but you know, it can't be a bad thing when you're above a hundred. And then if you look at the college production, I mean, in his senior, his junior season at uh, Kansas state, 
84% of an adjusted rushing market share. That's where we strip out the quarterback, uh, 75% of adjusted attempts, a touchdown market share, taking out quarterback rushing attempts of 92%. So the profile yeah. is definitely there. And I'm surprised that we haven't heard too much more discussion about him. Yeah, he's legit. I think a part of it is just that he played in the Big 12. Um, he wasn't uh, on a team that was really all that good. He wasn't a guy who was really tearing it up as a receiver, although I believe he had like 20 receptions his uh, final season. So like he's still competent in the passing game. Um, I think there's actually a lot to like about him. Uh, and uh, the the guys um, I have him most comparable to just in terms of like physical profile, yep. um, I think he's pretty comparable to Nick Chubb. Um, and again, this isn't talking about um, – about – uh, production at all or anything like that. Just kind of like their physical profiles. I think he's similar to Nick Chubb. Uh, and I think he's also pretty similar to David Johnson. Okay. Yeah. Those are two names that when I hear them mentioned that like, uh, make me like him even more before we get into another prospect that I was pretty impressed with that. I want to get Matt's take on a reminder that now is the time to make use of that 30% listener only discount to a Rotoviz subscription. Um, Rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. We already have a billion articles covering these prospects, and now we're really going to get into the nitty gritty of determining which of these players you're going to want to draft. So definitely make sure that you subscribe and make sure that you check out Rotoviz. Uh, another name that I was really impressed with, Matt was Justice Hill out of Oklahoma State, vertical yeah. 40 inches broad, 130. I really would have liked to see what he did for agility, a 106 speed score, ran a 4440. Uh decent production at Oklahoma State and he's another one I was impressed with and I'm surprised I have not read more about people being high on him. Yeah, I mean the big thing was one um so actually two things. One, he's small. So people aren't kind of be that all that excited in college. He was measured at 190 pounds, uh, did check in uh, bigger than that at the combine. So I think that helped. And then two, I think people were unreasonably expecting this class to be decently athletic at running back. And like, if any, like this class is really bad from an athletic perspective. <laughs> they are um, just like the whole class in general and the running back class in particular. Um, so I think Hill shines all the brighter because everyone else around him was just like total sloth, like, uh, in the 40 time. Um, so I had him, uh, slotted into the third round of rookie drafts and the fourth and fifth rounds of the NFL draft. And I think just because he's the only guy, uh, who showed legit speed at the running back position, he's probably going to get bumped up a little bit. So like round three, round four, something like that. And I think he also gets bumped uh, because of that gets bumped up in rookie drafts. But yeah, as you mentioned, he had good production. He was good enough uh, at Oklahoma state to uh, really like overtake Chris Carson as the lead back there, um, which in part is why Chris Carson went so low in the NFL draft, but he had 106.8 scrimmage yards per game across his career. Like he, he has some legit, uh, NFL ability. Yeah. So, I mean, I was pretty impressed with him now. Um, I'm kind of going out of sync, I think on our outline here, but totally fine. That should be fine because two players that I was not impressed were, uh, with first off Devin Singletary. I had seen a lot of positive talk about him, his combine performance, very, very 
lackluster. Um, at 203 pounds, a 466 in the 40 vertical of 35, broad of 117, bench press 15, and the agility score of 11.72. None of that is good. A weight adjusted speed score of 86. I think that we can write off Singletary. Yeah. I mean, he was playing at Florida Atlantic for a reason. Um, you know, and that reason is that he's smaller and not super athletic. Like, I think he's probably like a decent quote unquote football player. Um, but I just don't know if he has the athleticism really to, uh, to translate to the NFL for sure. And the other player that I hadn't really done too much research into, but having seen him play and the name, I was hoping for better things. That's Elijah Holyfield. Um, the son of the man responsible for one of my favorite Sega Genesis games of all time. And that would be Evander Real Deal Holyfield. Um, a 47840 time, um, a vertical of just 29.5, a broad of 118. These were some of the lowest numbers. Did rep 26 times on the bench. An 83 weight adjusted speed score. This was a disappointment, but I'm not sure that you know you were really expecting too much from Holyfield. No, I really wasn't. Um, I didn't have him ranked in my top 36. And that's not kind of to take anything away from him. Like I could see him being, you know, one of those guys who just doesn't test well, um, but has good NFL ability. And like, maybe there was just something like with his form, like, you know, like you're running drills. The drills aren't necessarily indicative of what you can do on the football field. Like there's correlation, um, but like maybe he's faster than he was in running the 40. Like maybe he just didn't good get out of his stance very quickly. You know, like there, there could be all of these little things like, but you know, I don't know. I, I don't see him being drafted all that highly. If he is, then maybe I'll take the time to, you know, go back and actually watch his combine drills yep. to see if maybe it was the type of thing where it's like, yeah, maybe this guy is actually faster uh, than he, you know, his time indicates. He's just not like a sprinter in terms of like having the form to get out of his stance early. And, you know, I don't know, maybe it took him longer to like reach down and touch the ground when he was running his agility drills, you know, just like random stuff like that. But yeah, I'm I'm not that into him. Yeah. Um, this is kind of unrelated to Elijah Holyfield, but do you remember James Wilder Jr. out of Florida State? Yes. So he was one player that I always heard people talking about, especially from like a scouting perspective. He was viewed as this big, strong, athletic type of guy. This is not no correlation here with Holyfield or nothing related. I just thinking about Holyfield made him pop into my mind. And yet if you'd watched him at Florida State, you knew that he was not that good and his size didn't matter because he played so soft. I don't know where I'm going with this, but you remember him, huh? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I remember. It's just Holyfield had some hype um, as you know, someone who kind of had potential and like big bodied guy. And just sometimes these guys that, you know, they, they don't pan out and then they just go away and you never hear from them again. You just, you, you don't remember them. I think Holyfield will be one of those guys. Yep. All right. Final name. I'm going to throw it at running back. Um, and I'm sure we will get to some of these other guys um, before the NFL draft comes along. Miles Gaskin out of Washington. Where are you on him? Uh, I mean, not impressed. Uh, he had good production at Washington. Uh, you know, four-year starter uh, for his college career. Had 111.3 yards uh, from scrimmage and 1.19 touchdowns. 
So like very productive. And that was over 52 career games. Um, no college campaign of his had fewer than 1300 yards. So like incredibly productive in college, but just like he's small and he didn't prove himself to be athletic at the combine. So like, and now he's just another year older. Like I think he should have come out of, uh, you know, of the draft last year. Um, but didn't do it. And now I'm not that interested in, in him. Like, I think at best he's a fourth rounder, but probably more like a sixth rounder. Yeah. And, and that makes me think too. I was going to also mention, do you think that Metcalf via doing the agility drills, just to go back to that cost himself, um, some mystique, like imagine what some people would be saying if we did not see those agility drills. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if he didn't, yeah, if he hadn't done the agility drills, we would just assume that he would be awesome at the agility drills right? because he was so awesome at everything else. But the thing is, I don't think it's going to matter at all. Like, I think whatever team wants him, uh, like whatever team would have picked him in the top 10 um, is going to pick him in the top 10 regardless, you know, like because his his uh, explosiveness is just so elite. Yeah, that's probably fair too. And I think there, there's a number of things working in his favor that you're right. It probably doesn't really matter. Um, but this is all important stuff because our good friends at the FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football, have you covered on best ball and dynasty. Perhaps players like Metcalf will already make an impact for your best ball teams. And as we know, some of these running backs that we talked about definitely will. So if you're a diehard who's ready to draft now, the FFPC best ball leagues are already open for the 2019 season with drafts forming daily starting at just $35. If you're a fan of Dynasty over the last few years, the FFPC has become the go-to destination for serious Dynasty players. They now have almost 300 active Dynasty leagues starting at $77, and they even have a $5,000 entry Dynasty league. And the best part is not a single Dynasty league has folded in nine years. Limited orphan teams are available for purchase right now, and brand new startup Dynasty leagues will be opening shortly. Don't miss the FFPC experience. Rotoviz listeners, go to my ffpc.com and register now that's myffpc.com the home of season-long high stakes fantasy football this episode is brought to you by decoy wines of sonoma california as you gather with family and friends this summer experience the best of wine country with decoy by duckhorn winemaker tyson wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards whether it's our flagship cabernet or crisp and refreshing rosé decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com celebrate to locate our wines near you whether you're firing up the grill hosting an alfresco get together or enjoying the warm summer nights let decoy by duckhorn elevate your occasion Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Okay, Matt. Who were some of the biggest risers in your rankings as a result of the combine? That's a good question. Um... The, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm, That's fine. I'm, uh, I'm buying time right now. Um, okay. Uh, here's one. Andy yep. Isabella. Um, I had him going in the, the third or fourth round 
uh, yep. of the NFL draft. Um, I now think he will maybe even be a low end second rounder, but I would be surprised if he made it out of round three. Uh, and I had him in the second round, like top half of the second round of rookie drafts. Um, man, like I might, I might move him up, um, into the first round of, uh, rookie drafts. Another guy, um, we're going to talk about some of these guys that, like, on the outline. I know we're going to talk about, might yep. as well mention them now. Yeah. Uh, Noah Fant. Yep. Um, I was, I mean, I, I thought he was going to be very good anyway, and I had him projected as a first rounder uh, for the NFL, top of the second round for rookie drafts. Um, I'm going to move him into the first round of rookie drafts. Like, I think that's where he belongs. Um, and I would maybe even say, um, I, I don't know. I just kind of don't know how aggressive I want to be, but uh, Kyler Murray. Uh, the fact that he like for sure is five ten, um, you know, did bulk up to two hundred and something pounds. I think even if he doesn't play there, yeah, even if he doesn't play there, um, I don't know. I like I have him for sure going in the top five uh, of the NFL draft. It really wouldn't surprise me if he's a top two pick. Um, the Cardinals like that is starting to gain some gain some traction. Um, they haven't really been uh, as vociferous in their um, their commitment to Josh Rosen as you would want. And uh, I don't know. They're just like there are a lot of dots that connect Kyler, Kyler Murray to the Cardinals. So if he went number one overall, that wouldn't be surprising. Um, I, I don't see a way in which I'm going to put Kyler Murray in the first round of a rookie draft. Um, I just because of the way I value the quarterback position or don't value the quarterback position, but I had him, uh, at 2.07. Uh, and I think I should probably move him up a little bit from there. Um, and then, uh, one more player, uh, Paris Campbell, I was too low on, uh, mm-hmm. I have him at, uh, 2.11 uh, and I should move him up, uh, maybe to the bottom of the first round. And I, I was projecting him for rounds three or four. Like I wasn't expecting a 4.31. I was expecting something fast, but that could even be like a four, four, but, uh, given the speed and then given, uh, the fact that he played at Ohio state, uh, and given his size, like he's not huge, but, uh, he's, he's big for his speed. Uh, given all of that, I think he will probably be drafted no later than round two. Um, so he's someone I'm going to have to move up the rankings. Uh, and then of course, uh, one more, um, Alex Barnes, I will move him up the rankings as well. Wow. Okay. Thorough, very, very thorough answer for a man that had to buy some time. And also, you know, that we're hitting a, 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 we're hitting our stride on the podcast when vociferous gets mentioned. Or gets yes. used, but um, a couple yeah. of notes there. Andy Isabella uh ran a had a forty time of four three one, also a very strong shuttle, which I'm sure that those numbers confirm some of the things that you had seen. Um, Noah Fant is he now above his teammate um T.J. Hawkinson um after the combine? Because I know that we had talked about Hawkinson before, and I think that you actually thought that he should be the unanimous number one tight end. Yeah, I still think that. I still think Hawkinson will be maybe not top 10, but top 15 pick in the draft because he's uh, a good two-way tight end who can basically do everything. And he's not the athletic freak that Fant was, but um, everyone already kind of knew about their athletic differences. 
And Hawkinson is still good enough of an athlete. Like, I think he ran, was it a 4.7? Yep. Um, like, that's not bad for a guy of his size. Um, you know, especially considering that you basically never have to take him off the field. So, uh, yeah, I think Hawkinson is still the guy. But I think Fant really locked in his uh, his first round um, – I don't want to say pedigree, but like the, like the likelihood of being a first round pick in my mock draft at Action Network, I have him as a low first round pick, and I think he probably is still in that range. But maybe I move him up a little bit, and uh, I think maybe I just feel with more certainty that that is where he belongs. Like he's he's locked in as a first rounder, I would say, or at least he should be. I get it. That I think that makes sense. Now, just to give a um, insight to how athletic Fant was. He ran his 40 in 4.5 seconds. The man weighs 249 pounds, so that is really impressive. His vertical, 39 and a half broad, 127. Then, a truly impressive thing here, his combined three-cone and shuttle was 11.03, which is really impressive, considering the fact that Hawkinson combined was 11.2, and I thought that, that that was impressive. So, I mean, yeah, this guy is an absolute physical specimen and it looks like Iowa is going to have potentially two first round tight ends coming out just to add to that uh, group of really strong tight ends that we've been talking about. You, yeah. And as, yep. and, and think of like Mike Kosicki last year, like how phenomenal of an athlete he was like Fant, I think is more athletic than Kosicki is, or just as athletic and uh, I, I think just as productive as he was, like just as impressive as, as a, a producer. So um, yeah, I think I think Fant belongs in the second. I mean, sorry, in the in the first round. In the first. Okay. Yeah. So uh, another thing that you touched upon there was Kyler Murray and the fact that it seems like he's going to be drafted in the top five picks. So. At Rotoviz, we are in the midst right now of doing a rookie draft. I had the first pick. Um, I will share that pick. So I went with Harry. Um, I felt like the production he had as a receiver was really solid. His combine performance was strong enough that I could stick with him there. I wanted to go with the receivers. I do not feel like this is the strongest running back class we've ever seen. We get around to my pick again in round two. The receivers that I'm interested in are gone. The wideouts are gone. So I actually went with Murray to start off uh, the second round at pick 13 because I could not identify another option. If you look at this class, do you think that that's too early for Murray and that there should be more than 12 players are going before him? Yeah, I think so. Um were, how many tight ends were off the board? Was Hawkinson off the board in Fant? No, they uh, Fant was. Hawkinson was not. Okay, I think Hawkinson would be the guy. Um, yeah, I think he would be the guy for me. And even some of these other guys like Andy Isabella, I would probably take ahead of Kyler Murray. Um, we didn't see him uh, do anything at the combine, but Rodney Anderson is someone uh, I I would maybe still take a shot on. Uh, 2.01 is probably early, but like relative to Kyler Murray, I would probably still take him. And I would maybe even do Irv Smith Jr., um, who like showed like well enough at the combine. I think he's going to be, and he looked actually really good in the on-field drills. 
uh, like catching the ball and running routes. I think he's going to be a low end first rounder, uh, you know, 21 year old guy who had some decent production at Alabama. I would probably take a shot on him uh, just because like tight end is such a premium position and it's hard to find, you know, like it's hard to find guys that you can count on at the position. So I think you just have to take a lot of shots there. Yeah, it's interesting. Normally, I would never take a quarterback um, until I absolutely had to. Uh, But I just I felt like in this situation, I think that there's a very realistic likelihood for success. Um, And some of this I break down in the comments that will be in the article. Uh, and, and I think that he's going to get in there right away, um, versus playing the, the waiting game with those tight ends, but I can definitely understand your point there. So I feel like that pick is probably going to be one of the more, um, critiqued picks that is made in that draft. So, um, it's gonna be interesting to see who ends up going. I made that pick recently, so I didn't get to see now. Um, a couple of, I'll go ahead. One more question. Yep. Was Paris Campbell on the board? Okay, I I thought a lot about Paris Campbell, but I did not go with him, and he was on the board. So I was going to throw out, um, actually, a couple of receivers that had very exciting height-adjusted speed scores and some other things in their profile uh, in their combine performance that intrigued me. So give me the one of these three that you're most excited about, Miles Boykin, Jazz Ferguson, or Paris Campbell, seeing as you just mentioned Campbell. Oh, it, it clearly has to be Campbell. Um, because he, he had the production, um, Boykin, uh, is a fantastic athlete. Um, but he just, I don't know, he didn't do quite as much at Notre Dame and he hasn't had like the hype entering, um, entering the process, which is maybe not a great way of looking at it, but like, I still kind of rely on that Bayesian prior and, um, like scouts just, they haven't been excited about Boykin. Um, so his athleticism is something to note. But um, if it's not like showing up on field and not showing up in the production enough to make scouts interested in him before the combine, then it's probably not something I'm really going to pay all that much attention to. Um, And then Jazz Ferguson, uh, I love the name, um, but (laughs) I I mean, he didn't really he didn't really do much. Right. Like am I looking at things incorrectly. Um, like, I don't think he did much in, in college, so I'm not that interested. Okay. Um, that, that is all fair. Yeah. And I think, um, Campbell, um, is, it would be the answer for me there as well. Um, I feel like now I'm going to be Kyler Murray's biggest supporter. It's funny how, it's funny though, how like you do some of these things, um, like just for an article and you could then end up having no stake, but I will still remember this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Uh, I mean, I really like Kyler Murray and I think, um, I don't know, like sometimes there is something to be said for just like going and getting your quarterback and locking in the position. Um, and if you think that Murray is the type of guy who is going to be like a potential league winner, um, you know, like Patrick Mahomes was, this year, you know, like it, it was really hard to lose a league if you had Mahomes right. and just like uh, enough other bodies that were at least like accumulating some statistics. Um, if you think Murray is that guy, then yeah, he's worth a pick at the top of the second round. Yeah. Now I- I'm going to point out Murray's 2018 season, just for those of you that are not aware, 
um, over 4,000 yards, 40 passing touchdowns, an AYA of over 13, had the best um, of any quarterback that's included in the top five in the RSI. Um, and I believe that AYA is a fairly important thing to look at. Also strong depth of target, then 890 yards on the ground, 11 rushing touchdowns. Uh, so not saying this guy could be Patrick Mahomes, but like Matt said, there's a lot of positive things there. Uh, and then you I mean, transpose, the thing, Oh, go ahead. I mean, the thing with Murray is that it's not just Murray compared to all of the other quarterbacks this year. Like Murray's 2018 season was one of the most impressive uh, collegiate seasons of all time for a quarterback from an efficiency perspective, just passing. That doesn't even take into account the fact that he had over uh, or I mean, just over a thousand yards rushing uh, and double digit rushing touchdowns. And that that is like an actual translatable skill to the NFL. Like he will be a legit runner. And the thing is, Um, he's never taken a beating as a runner. Like, I think that is actually part of the skill that he has of knowing when to slide, when to run out of bounds, uh, how to kind of angle his body so that he doesn't take like the full force of a hit. Like he is, I think a very skilled runner in like multiple ways of thinking about running quarterbacks. So that is just like something else that gives him amplified upside. So like there is a lot to like about him. Like as as good of a runner as people think Patrick Mahomes is, and like he is a decent runner, like Kyler Murray is just so much better. And so if he uh, can be just good enough as a passer, like that running difference could really uh, amplify how much more he could do in the NFL as like as a fantasy asset. Definitely. Now, you know who is not a rusher, despite what we may have been told. Dwayne Haskins, his 40 time 5.04. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, which is which is fine because he's not a not a rusher. He's not supposed to be viewed as an athletic quarterback. Uh, but in that vein, looking for quarterbacks that are athletic outside of Kyler Murray Did the combine performance of any of these players um, stand out to you and maybe raise their stock in your mind? Uh, No, not really. Um, Tyree Jack. Well, Tyree Jackson from Buffalo is someone who uh, was impressive. Yep. Had a a 4.59 40 time. uh, And he's a big guy. He's six, seven, like for a guy who's six, seven and 249 pounds to be able to do that. Like that is impressive. That's like, uh, like tight end type of thing. Like if your tight end did that, you'd be like, wow, this guy is athletic. Yeah. Um, but he wasn't like, I don't think he was all that great at Buffalo, you know? So there aren't, I don't know, like out of the remaining quarterbacks, the athleticism that some of them showed isn't enough to make me uh, want them. Uh, when you place into context, the fact that they're probably not all that good at passing, like Trace McSorley was, uh, the fastest 4.57, um, I was never really all that impressed with what he did at Penn State. Like, yep. I just, I kind of don't think any of these guys has enough athleticism to make you overlook the fact that they're not good enough at what they need to do the most, and that's throw the ball. Yep. Um, also, Drew Locke ran a four six nine. Um, I get that. I get that he did some things as a rusher in college, but the more that I dug into his profile as of late, I have to rule that he is garbage. And I would give him about a 5% chance of ever having a stretch of starting four games in the NFL and doing so well. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I guess he could, so, but, but the well, key piece so, being they're actually doing it well. Yeah. I mean, so the the big – one of the, the big questions for me in the mock draft I did before the combine was uh, do I put Drew Locke number 10 to the Broncos? Mm-hmm. And like I don't think he should go there. I don't think he belongs anywhere near there. But the Broncos are reportedly very high on him. Um, I think that they probably view Joe Flacco as a stopgap. Um, and like that is going to be a really big question. Like where does Drew Locke go? Um, does he even go in the bottom of the first round with the Broncos trading back up into the first round to get him? Uh, I don't think he belongs in the first round. I think he he probably should be drafted in the second round, maybe third round. Um, but yeah, the question of like, is he like every, every so often you have these quarterbacks who probably shouldn't be first rounders who end up going in the bottom half of the first round because teams just kind of press it. And like, is he going to be that guy this year that a team reaches for when they really shouldn't? I feel like it's probably going to happen when you look at the makeup of the rest of this class and also as a three-year starter, he was able to accumulate, or I forget if he was three or four, but basically- He was like three and a half. Three and a, yeah. So he accumulated a tremendous amount of production, but it was not efficient, very poor uh, percentage, uh, completion percentage, and AYA that is in what I would call a danger zone. It's the type of AYA that's down where if you look at all of the names, the best one you can find is Nick Foles. You have a lot of Christian Ponders, other quarterbacks that went early but could not cut it in the NFL. Uh, so to me, it's like the classic case of a compiler, uh, somebody who's just getting there off of the production, having done something for a long time. And there's really nothing I could point to that looks like it could translate. Daniel Jones too, um, out of Duke, there's really not a whole lot of meat on that bone there too, to try to find, um, you know, much positive for him. So to me, I actually think that Will Greer, when you look at him from an analytical or, or you look at the stats and the analytics, he actually, to me, should be the third quarterback in this class. Yeah, I do agree with that. One more thing that's a yep. little uh, unfortunate about Drew Locke and his profile is that uh, his 2017 junior season was his most productive year. Uh, and then he really kind of regressed from an efficiency standpoint in 2018, even though he completed more passes. Uh, he just wasn't doing as much on a per attempt basis. Um, so that is, I think, not a good sign. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly um, a, a fair one to point out. So we covered a lot of ground here. Um, um, let me pop over the outline here and see quickly if I left off anything that I wanted to mention. Looks like we got to everything that I wanted to bring up. Was there anything that you wanted to mention that I have not uh, hit upon yet? Yeah. Um, so just kind of thinking about this class in general, now that we've seen them uh, test athletically, the guys who really stand out, um, defensive line, uh, I think a lot of those guys are pretty impressive. I think that's the strength of this class. Uh, as we mentioned, there are really only two quarterbacks who will probably kind of be considered for the top of the first round, you know, like top 10 picks or so. So that will be an interesting dynamic to see what happens with the remaining quarterbacks. Um, and then like the wide receivers, like, so we, we talked about this, but kind of more holistically, yep. I don't think it's a great year for running backs, but I think it's a pretty good year for wide receivers. Like I, I think there could be as many as like five or six guys who are drafted in the first round. 
Um, and you know, like we've seen a number like that before. Like I believe it was like 2009. Uh, we saw five or six, uh, first round wide receivers, like the Michael Crabtree year. And you had like Darius Hayward Bay, Jeremy Macklin, Percy Harvin, uh, Kenny Britt, Hakeem Nix. Like, I think we could see like six guys go in the first round at the wide receiver position. Like, um, DK Metcalf, I think is locked in. Uh, AJ Brown, I think deserves to be there. Nikhil, ha- Nikhil Harry deserves to be there. Uh, I could see Marquise Brown, uh, finding his way into the first round, even though like, I don't necessarily agree with that. Uh, and then you only have to find two more guys. And I think like, it's easy to see how that could happen. Um, I think someone like Hakeem Butler could end up in the first round. Uh, Kelvin Harmon, uh, who I think actually kind of had a disappointing combine, especially relative to what all of the other guys were doing. Um, I think he could slip out of the first round, but he still might be able to go there. Um, but then there are enough other guys who could find their way there. Like Paris Campbell might be able to do it. Um, so just kind of from a holistic perspective, like the wide receiver group, uh, I think is, is pretty impressive. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. And then also like, uh, the offensive linemen, like the tackles, um, it will be interesting to see what happens with some of these guys. Um, like Jawan Taylor from Florida, Greg Little from Mississippi. Uh, and then you have, uh, Cody Ford from Oklahoma, Dalton Risner from Kansas state. Uh, like there are teams that need offensive linemen and tackles in particular. Uh, you know, like it will be. I think a lot of the first round is going to be shaped by how aggressively teams are uh, going after uh, both defensive linemen and then offensive tackles and whether teams actually consider these guys to project to the NFL as offensive tackles. Um, I think a lot of these guys should get their shot as offensive tackles, uh, but some teams might view them more as offensive guards. And so would, I, I think kind of devalue them and push them down the draft board a little bit. So, uh, I don't know. I, I think a lot of the first round is going to be just determined on, uh, how teams view these offensive tackles, uh, and whether they draft them aggressively. Yeah. And the thing that I always remind, uh, like friends that I have that are just starting to get into it, um, it's still worth paying attention to this stuff in the draft because you want to know. If you have a running back, you know, what's his line going to look like? Or it might help inform you of players in drafts that you want to go to. So, you know, to me, the more offensive players you have going in the early rounds of drafts, just the more interesting things there's going to be from a fantasy perspective, assuming you don't play in IDP leagues to break down. Uh, and I, I'd be remiss here if I did not mention uh, little Jordan Humphrey, who. I was repeating the name so much that my daughter has been walking around saying little Jordan Humphrey. Um, and actually maybe I will even post it on Twitter because, um, she will just break into saying little Jordan Humphrey. I have it on video, the four, seven, five, 40 time. Uh, I was crushed by, uh, his lack of athletic ability. So I do not expect to be hearing much from little Jordan Humphrey. Yeah. Uh, I will be surprised if he lasts two seasons in the NFL. That's, that's kind uh, of what it's looking he, like. Yeah, he sounds like an AAF all-star. <laughs> I would love that. Hey, he is only 20.9. Um, one of the youngest receivers in the class, which is maybe where he gets the lil in Jordan Humphrey. So I'm going to be holding out hope. Yeah. Uh, anyway, great combine, I thought. Um, 
sort of uh, exciting to finally match some numbers to these guys. And one more thing, I, I know I mentioned yep. uh, defensive linemen, but like uh, uh, Queen and Williams or Keenan Williams. Yeah. Keenan Williams from Alabama uh, defensive tackle uh, amazingly fast for a guy of his size. Um, I don't think he's going to be the number one player chosen, but I, like, I think he's a stone cold lock as like the top player, just overall player in this draft, like amazingly athletic. Um, I think what he adds to a defense is more valuable than what Nick Bosa will add to a defense. Um, like you don't want to say that he has like Aaron Donald type of, uh, impact making ability, but, uh, man, I I think he could be someone pretty special. Isn't it amazing how these guys that are so huge can run and move their bodies and be agile and do things at such a higher level than just like your average person, even your fairly athletic person at their size. It's it's absolutely astounding to me. Oh yeah. I mean, these guys are like professional athletes, you know, like they, they play football. Um, but like, I think first and foremost, like they are athletes, like most of these guys. Yeah. Um, it makes me think of in college, what I, one of the things I always wanted to do was like, um, challenge people to run a 40 yard dash and like pick like five and a half seconds or something, you know, and then like show them videos of like these huge, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, fat guys running it. Um, and, and just see, you know, how many people thought that they could actually do that. Cause even like a, a five and a half is really challenging for your average person. Uh, so yeah. So one more thing, uh, Rich Eisen with his 40 time, uh, hit six seconds right on the head. Uh, which is where the line was set. But there were some books where you could uh, find a 6.02 and other books where you could find a 5.97. Uh, so it, like I was actually tempted to try to middle that um, and it would have worked, but just the juice on both sides was way too much to lay. But uh, I, I love Rich Eisen running. Like I love this kind of being like a tradition with the combine and, and him taking it very seriously and, and having like everything sponsored, like having the suit made specifically specifically for running. Uh, I just, I I think it's a cool thing. Yeah. And and the best part of it is that it's done in the suit. So yeah. Yeah. Easily one of the, the the best parts of the combine. So yeah, a, you know, extremely fun combine. Um, As always, we're looking forward to breaking these down in more detail. And um, I'm curious about hearing what other uh, bets you're going to find to fill your time between now and the draft. So we'll talk about Uh, that more. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'll just I'll already give a preview of this. Okay. I've already bet uh, under two and a half on the uh, the draft position for Kyler Murray. I think he'll be a top two pick. So yeah, All right. took the under there. Another question. At any given time, how many bets on average would you say that you have open? I mean, uh, I, I don't I don't know. Um, like, are you even what, tracking these by any type of like organizational mechanism at this point? Or are they just like out there in the ether? I mean, they're, they're like, I know of them, like some of them are in a spreadsheet. Some of them are just kind of there on the book. And like, I, I know that they're there cause I see right. how much, uh, I have pending. Um, like for instance, like, uh, Jason Witten, uh, when he unretired, um, 
you know, several books put uh, props up for his 2019 production. So like I bet those because I thought they were exploitable. Those are going to be open for the next, you know, like nine months, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but like I, I just I, so that's going to be sitting out there. And so I have like things like that pop up, you know, maybe like, uh, you know, once every week or once every two weeks where there are these kind of long term bets that are going to be out there. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, baseball season is coming up. I'm, you know, placing some baseball bets on production for some players. So those bets are going to be open for six months. Uh, and so I, I kind of don't like to have money locked up that long, but at the same time, um, if there are bets that I think are exploitable, um, you know, and I, I feel pretty strong about, uh, how it's going to turn out, then I'm, then I'm fine doing it. <laughs> All right. I just I just don't want it to be a huge portion of the bankroll, and it, and it's not a huge portion of the bankroll. I mean, because like you can they they cap what you can bet on these anyway. Right. So it's not as if I'm like you know wrapping up a lot of money, but there yeah there are a significant number of bets that are always open. Does your wife know um, how many bets you have going on? Like, is she aware of the amount of uh, Friedman family funds that may be circulating through the books at any given time? <laughs> Uh, she she's uh generally aware yeah i mean it's not as if i'm like hey uh i just bet on uh 50 player props today you know like i i just i kind of don't bother her with those details um but yeah no, i mean she's yeah she's definitely aware that uh this is like part of my job <laughs> like i consider it part of my job right I- i'm assuming that she probably hears more often about the wins than the, than the losses no not really i i i kind of don't even tell her either way Mm. Um, probably a good strategy. You know, yeah. I mean, cause, well, cause part of it is cause like, it doesn't, it doesn't hit me all that much. Um, and I guess I should say like, f- I've been fortunate over the last year not to have many days that have totally sucked. Like there's, there's, uh, there's one day in particular actually about this time last year where it was just like the worst day ever. Uh, and I mean, I definitely didn't mention that, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean it, you know, I've rebounded and, uh, when I have had a couple of good days, like sometimes I'll mention it, like if I'm in a good mood, she'll be like, why in a good mood? It's like, well, uh, you know, we, I crushed yesterday. Nice. Like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, but yeah, for the most part, I don't mention it either way, regardless of whatever happens. All right. Well, I think that that is very fair and uh, I'm going to make sure that we keep following up on, on, on some of your, uh, betting activity, but that's going to do it for today's episode. Once again, I'm Dave Cabin. You can follow me on Twitter at Dave Cabin FF. My co-host was Matthew Friedman, who you can follow at Matt F the Oracle. This has been Rotoviz Radio. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review and be sure to tune in next week. And remember, it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate, review, and contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the listener homepage at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California.
As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion.